I have faith that you can, not because of how great you are, but because of how good he is. He is with us, church. He is with us, church. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Father, in the name of Jesus, we gather in this place, worshiping you, listening for your voice. Would you give us what we don't have? Would you teach us what we don't know? Would you make us what we've not become so that we will shine with your light and love? Oh, God, so many things in this world distract us. Our physical health, our financial well-being, our jobs, our family. And yet today we've come to hear from you. And over these next few weeks, we desire to hear from you about how you would have us to be a part of this process. So here we are listening. Speak, Lord. Speak. And in these next few minutes, where we talk about your call to the nations, the very thing we've sung about already this morning, Lord, I pray that the words I say and my thoughts would be pleasing to you, my strength, my redeemer. And Father, you who draw all men and women, boys and girls, to yourself, you're the one who calls us. Lord, would you call someone to you today? Lord, there's someone that's come in unsure about their salvation. Would you clarify that today? And Lord, would you allow all of us to walk out of here with a greater commitment to what you have put us here for? And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. remember the first time that I was able to visit Disney. Now, that's the time I can remember. I have a little bit of childhood bitterness about theme parks. Because every time we would go to a city, and because I was raised in a pastor's home, we would often go to different cities for our, our denominational convention. Every time we would go to a different city and they would have a theme park and my brother or I would ask to go, our father would always say, it's just like all the other theme parks, son. The problem is we never went to any of the other theme parks. So the first time I remember being able to go to Disney, I was in high school and it was a high school trip. And there was something that everybody had been told we have to do. It was highly hyped. It was the attraction that you know as, it's a small world. And so we did it. We stood at a long Disney line and we got into that little car. And then we found ourselves in that ride with all these strange looking little people from around the world singing, 
It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a... You've been there too, right? Kind of disappointing, right? (laughs) Didn't quite live up to the hype. It was a, a very simple ride. Now, growing up in South Carolina, I kind of grew up with a simple life. Most of the people I saw kind of looked like me and had a lot in common with me. And, and I would have never imagined growing up in that particular setting that um, God would allow me to realize how truly small our world is. But man, now I live in a city where the world has come to us. And I see it's a small world after all. And I go, I go to a church where the world has come to us. More than 60 nations make up this congregation. And, and I see it's a small world after all. We have people that worship here from Nigeria and Sierra Leone, from Niger and Togo, from Congo and Cameroon, from Ghana and Liberia. Let me hear you if you're here. From Burkina Faso and Ivory Coast, from Uganda and Zimbabwe, from Ethiopia and Eritrea, from Costa Rica and St. Thomas and Trinidad and Anguilla and Guana and Dominica and Colombia and Puerto Rico and Honduras and Jamaica and Haiti and Cuba and Suriname and Belize, and Barbados, and Panama, and Uruguay, and Mexico, and St. Lucia, and Bahamas, and Venezuela, and Belize, and Ecuador, and El Salvador, and Brazil, and Argentina, and Indiana, and China, and Myanmar, and South Korea, and Taiwan, and Japan, and Philippines, and France, and Denmark, and Syria, and Egypt, and Lebanon, and Peru, and Grenada, and Antigua, and St. Vincent, and Bosnia, and Canada, and Malaysia, and Kenya, and the one we always forget, the United States. Aren't you grateful that God has brought the nations to us. It's a small world after all. (laughs) Tanzania, the world, the small, small world has come to us. And in his last words, Jesus gathered with his disciples after his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And his message was, to that small group, I want you to go into the small, small world. The passage is one of the most familiar in Scripture. If you have your Bible, you turn there, in your printed copy or in your device, Matthew 28. We're going to begin reading in verse 16. Often you have heard this passage taught beginning in verse 18, but I want you to see why the preceding verses are relevant. In Matthew's gospel, it's clear this was part of the package. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Say all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Fyodor Dostoevsky 
said the secret of man's being is not only to live, but to have something to live for. And Jesus, in these red-letter words, was telling his disciples what they were to live for. And because we have the Holy Scriptures, Jesus is saying to every Christ follower, this is what you live for. In a sense, he's saying, you are here for the nations. I want to make something clear that I don't think was very clear while I was growing up. I had a great church. My dad, my hero, was the pastor. Every year we'd have missionaries come from foreign countries and and they would give great presentations about how God was working through their ministry. And I knew, even as a child, that some may go. But that seemed like maybe that was the gospel Green Beret. Not everyone was called to the nations. That's just for those what we back then called foreign missionaries. And yet as I have grown in my faith and as I read the Great Commission, this is what I understand. Every Christ follower has some responsibility for the disciple-making process of the nations of the world. It's not just those who are vocational missionaries and get on a plane and go, but it's you and me. Every Christ follower has some responsibility for the disciple-making process of the nations of the world. There's no way I can read the words of Jesus without understanding that. And this passage makes it clear. Beginning in that first verse, verse 16, I think when we look at that verse, we see a calling that we too must confirm. What was the calling? It was to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, we see that the disciples, the 11, had gathered together there where Jesus had told them to be. Now, there's a couple of things that I want you to see about this. First of all, I want you to see that Matthew points out there were 11 in this crew. Now, originally, how many disciples were there? We know what happened. Judas betrayed Jesus. By this point, he's taken his own life. He's hung himself. So Matthew's pointing out that even after the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, you have a small group of true disciples. There's something I want you to be reminded of today. You can be in close proximity to the things of God and not prioritize the heart of God. So you can hang out with people of faith like we're doing today. You can occasionally drop in on a church setting. You can be a member on a roll. You can even give in an offering plate or an offering box and not really understand what it means to walk in your faith with the priorities of God. And yet that's what was taking place with these disciples. They were the true disciples of of Christ. They were the ones who were called. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. 
You can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. And I would suggest to you today that if there's been that point in your life where you understood you were a sinner and you, you knew that wasn't okay, and you, need, you knew that Jesus died for your sins and you received his forgiveness, and you understood that Jesus is alive today and you surrendered your life to him, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then you are a disciple. So what does a disciple look like? In this passage, we see it. A, a disciple is one who goes where Jesus directs you to go. For them, it was the Mount of Olives. They went and they were spending these last days with Jesus, actually in that same place that Scripture tells us he will return. And so they went to the place where Jesus told them to be. If you're a disciple, you're going to do the things that Jesus tells you to do. I'm reading through the Bible, and the end of this week, I've been in the book of James, and James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, the guy who grew up with Jesus, Right? That means Joseph and Mary were his father and mother. And so he'd watched Jesus all his life. He had kind of pushed away from following after Christ. But after the resurrection, he he was all in. And he became the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And James writes this, Don't come to me and say that you can have faith and yet not have any works in your life. Don't pretend that you are a follower of Jesus if the things that are tangible that other people can see don't look like Jesus. Because if you are a disciple of Christ, you're going to do what he directs you to do. That's one way you know. Another way you know is because you worship Jesus. So the disciples went to where Jesus directed them to be. And when they saw him, what did they do? They fell on their face and they worshiped him. If you are a true disciple of Jesus, when you come into a church setting, it doesn't matter if the lights are high or low. It doesn't matter if the music is loud or soft. It doesn't matter if you like the style or you don't like the style. It doesn't matter how you're dressed. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, when you come into a worshipful setting in the the context of a holy God, you're drawn to worship him. It's your natural response. That's what we do. And so just a a quick moment. If, if in your life you're you're taking a quick inventory and you say, Hey, um, I'm not really doing the things that Jesus has directed me to do. Then you may not be one of the called You may not be a true disciple of Christ. You may not have ever followed Jesus, no matter how many churches you've joined. Or if you've come in today and you you find it hard to worship God, you feel like, I I don't know if I can worship. Then you may may not be one of the called. You you may not be a disciple of Christ. You, you, You may not be a true follower of Jesus, regardless of how many times you've prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle or been dunked in water. Because there are true marks to our faith. Now, it's interesting though, before we go on, this passage says that they went where Jesus directed them to go. And they worshipped him. And then it has this crazy phrase. Even though some of them doubted. And I love that phrase because sometimes I'm like Thomas. I'm a doubter. 
Raise your hand if you ever doubt things in your faith. And, and some people would tell you that, man, you can't ever doubt. If you're doubting, that's the same thing as sin. And I don't see that in Scripture. Disobedience is sin, but doubt is part of this human condition that we walk with. That Sometimes we, we get in our flesh, we're not full of the Spirit, and we think, all right, am I, is this the real thing? And I'm, I'm so thankful that this passage tells me that the plan of God, the marching orders of Jesus, the way God wants to do it is to use Use weak and weary people like you and me. Isn't that so encouraging? He uses even those who doubt. So before we move on, I just want you to think about that. Have you responded to the call? Or are you one of the called? So for the meetings that ha- that's happening today in the presence of Jesus, are you there? Are you on the mountaintop? Are you, are you where he's asked you to be? All right, there's a second thing, though. There's also a claim that we must believe. A claim that we must believe. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus makes a bold statement. He says, All authority. Say all. Why does he say that? Why does he say all authority? This is not part of the command that we're going to get to. This is a claim. But if this claim in verse 18 is not true, then the command in verse 19 should not be followed. But if the claim in verse 18 is true, then the command in verse 19 is a big deal. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I want you to understand that there's no question now. All authority has been given to me. Now, there would have been questioned before that. We know that because the disciples kept asking the questions. Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? When are you going to do things the way we want you to do it? And then he died. And the Bible has this terrible verse that says, And all the disciples went back to fishing. So those who had followed him kind of walked away. And then he was raised from the dead. And what did that mean? That meant he had all authority. (laughs) It meant he had authority over not just sin. He didn't just defeat sin when he took your and my punishment on the cross. He had authority over death. Sin lost its sting. Death lost its power. That's why it says in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere, all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom he's appointed. And all of this, he's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus is saying, I've got all authority. That's what it means in Philippians 2 and verse 9 when it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What does that authority mean? Well, raise your hand if you watched any college football yesterday. Let me just see who we're talking with here. Wow, what'd y'all do? (laughs) 
Well, if you watch a football game, what you'll notice is there are some men on both teams that have a lot of power. That power is evidenced by their strength. It's evidenced often by their speed, their abilities. So they have the power to move the ball up and down the field or to stop the ball from being moved up and down the field. They have the power to score. But they're not the only ones on the field. Also on the field, there are some folks that are dressed kind of in zebra shirts. They don't have the same power. They don't have the equipment. They don't have the strength. They don't have the speed. But those guys got a whistle. And when they blow the whistle, it demonstrates not power, but what? Authority. They can stop the game in a second. They can kick you out of the game in a moment. They are the ones that don't just have power, they have authority. What they say must happen, whether you like it or not. Jesus said, I have all the authority. That means if he has all the authority, no one else has any of the authority. And that includes you, and that includes me. So I don't have the authority to say, this is what I want to do with my life. I don't have the authority to say, this is what it means to be a Christian to me. I don't have the authority to say, hey, I'm not going to participate in that because I don't like it. No, what Jesus is about to command, he has the authority to command, and I should obey whether I like it or not. You've got to decide if you believe his claim. If you believe his claim, then you better obey his command. But just know what the Bible taught. If you don't believe it on this day, you're going to believe it on that day. Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So I've got to decide, am I one of the called? You've got to decide that. I would, I would square that away before I walk out of this room. Am I one of the called? Have I responded and became a, a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then I've got to decide, do I believe his claim? Is Jesus who he said he is? By the way, if he's not who he says he is, if he's not Lord, that means he's a liar because he said he was Lord. Or he's a lunatic. He's crazy. What do you believe about the cl- claim? Because after you've resolved that, then you're going to see there's a command that you have to obey. There is a command that we must obey. Now, this is the red letter part that you're all familiar with. Go, therefore. Literally, as you go. On the go. Make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all. Say all. All. Teaching them to observe all. Say all. all. Now listen to this. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, so Jesus is saying, my disciples actively make disciples of people from all the nations of the world. In other words, the disciples of Jesus are responsible for the nations. 
You get that? That means you, if you're a Christ follower, you're responsible for the nations. You you don't have the freedom to go about your life and not be concerned about what's happening in other parts of the world. And that's always been God's plan. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.